Good morning. Good afternoon, Richmond. It's 12 noon, and I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, it is Monday, October 2nd, and I'm broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show as we recap Saturday's college football. Virginia Tech gets a win Sunday. The Commanders lose in overtime and preview tonight's Monday night football action live from Capitol Ale House. So it is October 2nd, which means we begin the spooky month. My craze, my favorite month of the year every year. Love Halloween. And spooky month means spooky season and crazy things can happen. And that's what happened in the fourth quarter of that Commanders-Eagles game. I thought no way in hell the Commanders had a shot there when the Eagles were in field goal range to basically kneel down and then kick the game-winning field goal. Instead, they burn Emmanuel Forbes on a double move. The Commanders get a chance to go down the field, and that is exactly what they did, and that's where we will begin today. We're going to start with yesterday's game. The Eagles defeat the young Commanders team in overtime. No, it's not a moral victory. It's a loss. It's absolutely a loss. It's a big, fat L, but it's a loss that I think you can certainly build off of, especially with a short week and a winnable game against the Chicago Bears at home. To me, that's a must-win game. Got to get above 500 once again. Get to 3-2 and two with a win on Thursday, but today... It's less of a misery Monday, all right? Less of a misery Monday and more of a what Ron Rivera said to reporters, quote, there's no moral victories, but this will help us going forward. It's a help us going forward Monday here on AWOD Radio, and that's where we will begin with the Eagles versus the Commanders, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Stubb, let me hear that Commanders theme song here to get me going as the Commanders fall to the Eagles 34-31 in overtime. Place to play. Uh, and it came down to overtime and the final call of the game right here as the Eagles take Elliott Nails, a 54-yard field goal. Let's play the call. Ball is spotted. The kick is away. And the kick is... Goal! And the Eagles win! The Eagles win! Lights out. Jake oh, Elliott does it with his fourth field goal of the day. Yeah, the fourth field goal of the day there was the backbreaker for the Commanders. And look, in my opinion, the game plan for Washington defensively, from the mind of Jack Del Rio, whether you like it or not, was to make Jalen Hurts beat them with his arm. And they played a ton of cover two, a ton of zone, leaving openings in the corner of the defense, and he threaded those openings with a needle. It was impressive. He had a ton of impressive throws. Now, personally, I thought they could have gotten Jalen quicker. All right, And they didn't really start blitzing until the fourth quarter in overtime. And I said all week, I hate Jack Del Rio's approach of saying, hey, we have four first-round picks on the defensive line. They need to win. They need to win their individual matchup. No, every team around the league, they're sending five and six guys. And they're getting to Washington. And they're making game-changing sacks like they did against Sam Howell there in the third quarter. Yeah, we're rushing four all day and, and giving Jalen Hurts time after time after time to throw the ball. So to me, this loss is on Jack Del Rio. And damn it, we blew a game in which your young quarterback, Sam Howell, had zero turnovers. You cannot let that happen again. Let's start, though, with the good. And the good is that Sam Howell looked excellent. I repeat, your fifth-round pick in his fifth career start looked excellent, bouncing back in a big way from last week's disaster. The offense was humming, moving the ball, converting third downs, scored early. Scored seven when they got to the red zone. And they took it to the Philadelphia Eagles in the first quarter. And that it was, it was really impressive. And it included a game-tying 60-yard drive 
by slinging Sammy Howell in the fourth quarter. The Eagles were flagged six times in the first half for 30 yards. Those were three costly flags. That was big for the commanders. That's part of the good, forcing the Eagles to get those penalties. Sam Howell forced overtime there with the 10-yard pass to Jahan Dotson just as time expired, leading the commanders on a 10-play, 64-yard drive in the final minute and 43 to shock the home crowd there. And the commanders could have won it to start overtime. But they went three and out on the opening drive because McLaurin landed on the Eagles player's wrist just completely unluckily there. But Howell finishes with 290 yards passing and a score, a rating of 90.6. This may have been the certified game of the week, right? How many other games went to overtime? It was incredible. Let's play the call here of Jahan Dotson's catch to send this baby to overtime. In the game, Washington needs to score. Second and goal from the 10. Snap to Howe. Surveying. Throws to the end zone. Touchdown! Touchdown! Touchdown, Washington! Jahan Dotson! Unbelievable! My goodness! Yes! Oh, my, indeed. And this is why you want Jahan Dotson into the game. When you have two great receivers like Terry McClellan and Jahan Dotson, you get those guys a chance. This is the biggest catch of Jahan Dotson's young career. Unreal. Went right. up and grabbed it. It was Oops. over his head. Reels it in. And now Joey Sly is on Going to tie the game. He's got to make this. The tie. No time on the clock. This would send it to overtime. And that was the call on the Commander's Radio Network. As heard right here on 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM. It was a back and forth game. And it was a fun one. That was definitely the good. Another with the good, I definitely wanted to include, you had a Chase Young appearance, a sack in the game. Uh, I wanted to say, hey, Deron Payne had a bunch of sacks. Jonathan Allen had a bunch of sacks. Montez Sweat. No, it was Chase Young with the sack for the Commanders. Let's take a listen to the call. This year. Second and eight. Hurts to throw. Under pressure. Chase Young gets to him and hammers him down. Former Rookie of the Year who's finally healthy. Gets- and what I loved about that sack is that he grabbed Jalen Hurts by the shoulder as he was running by him and had the strength to keep holding on and then bring him down. So that wraps up the good here. We move over to the bad in the 34-31 loss. And that's the secondary. I mean, A.J. Brown torched the commander's secondary. He caught nine passes for 175 yards and two touchdowns, including what seemed to be the game-winning score when he was targeted 13 times. His 28-yard touchdown on second and four with a minute and 43 left gave the Eagles the lead. Uh, You know, if you're talking about the bad, it should also include DeAndre Swift here. Four yards per carry for 56 yards. To me, it felt like he ate in the middle of the field, dodging multiple commanders in the backfield and pushing forward, picking up crucial yardage all game long. And then we get to the ugly here. And to me, the ugly was allowing Jalen Hurts to look like an all-pro quarterback. 319 yards, no turnovers. Ran the ball for 34 yards. He just carved up Washington over and over again. Converted both fourth downs. He scored seven anytime the Eagles needed a scoring drive. Washington's defense simply could not get a stop. That's the, the problem was. The ugly at times was absolutely A.J. Brown destroying Emmanuel Forbes on double moves, making the rookie look like a rookie. The Commanders only ran 
10 plays in the third quarter. That's part of the ugly, too. What happened in that third quarter? They only put up 23 yards. The first drive, you had Dotson, very frustrating. He had a pass go right through his hands on third and floor. The next drive had a sack in which the Eagles blitzed and got right to Sam Howell. So the sack left Washington punting the ball back to the Eagles, who had just taken the lead. And you know what? It's just a reminder that every single game comes down to small details small details here's aj brown after the game speaking with reporters he said quote how are they playing me uh man they gave the young boy emmanuel forbes a lot of respect man he was following me and he started following me and it was like one-on-one coverage most of the time so they gave him a lot of respect coming into the game and aj brown was able to torch him so here's from cbs sports why did the commanders lose this game They say Washington played well enough to win the game, but Ron Rivera deciding not to go for two and the win instead decides to force overtime was a bit of a head-scratcher. They say even though Rivera didn't go for two and kicks the extra point with no time left to force overtime, the Commanders still had an opportunity to win the game by scoring a touchdown in an extra period by having the ball first. Washington instead went three and out and gave the ball right back to Philadelphia. Rivera's reasoning for not going for two, he said, quote, the offense was gassed. They really were. It was a long drive. Well, the irony is the defense might have been gassed also. Rivera had his team ready to play, but he couldn't finish on a strong performance by his football team. I'm not mad at him for not going for two there. Look, if there were like five seconds on the clock, I say go for two, and then maybe there's a chance if you miss it, you can get the onside kick and and grasp at a, a late field goal, but with zero time on the clock, exactly zero seconds, and I do agree that the offense was gassed. Maybe the defense was more gassed, uh, but look, we had been throwing, throwing, throwing. It's not like we had been running successfully that drive, and Brian Robinson on the goal line had also fumbled the ball into the end zone. I have no problem kicking the field goal there, uh, kicking the extra point, going to overtime. You had your chance to win in overtime. So many things had to go wrong. I mean, you win the, the coin toss. Usually that leads to a win. Terry McClure makes an incredible catch. Oh, no, but his toe is by the slightest of margins out of bounds, and then it's a bad punt. And then they convert a fourth and one. And then we knock them back, but then they get nine yards on a blitz where Jack Del Rio shouldn't have blitzed. It's like he hasn't blitzed all game, and then he chooses the worst opportunity to blitz and allows the Eagles to get nine yards and turn a 63-yard field goal in a 54-yard makeable field goal. So that was so frustrating right there. And it is a frustrating Monday. Not as much a misery Monday as, hey, we had him. We had him. What did Ron Rivera say? This is a help us going forward Monday, and that's exactly how I feel as it is a short week with the Commanders trying to turn it around Thursday against the Chicago Bears. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan. Now at 105.1 FM, we will be talking Commanders throughout the show today. Matthew Paris will hop on the program at 2.30. Danny Ruye, funny Danny from Grant Danny at 1.30, and we'll switch it up and talk a little Hokies after they got the win at 12.30 with Andy Bitter on University Drive. Don't go anywhere, don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. What's up next for both these teams here? The 4-0 Eagles, well, they head to Los Angeles to take on the 2-2 Rams next week, while the Commanders, 2-2 now, have a short week, a chance to get back above 500 as they face off against the 0-4 Chicago Bears. That lousy offense, solid defense, though, at home on Thursday night football. we got a lot still to get to on the show today. Phone lines are open, as always. 
833-804-0910. Come on, members of the AWOD Army. I'm paying attention. I know you're calling MP on the mic now, Frank. Why don't you call AWOD, 833-804-0910. Danny Ruye will join the show at 1.30. The Richmond Commander coming up at 1 p.m. Give you my 10 takeaways for the Commander's loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. But right now, we bring in Michael Phillips for a little crosstalk. What's going on, Michael P.? Yo, good to be having a nice uh, interference-free conversation with you. We got a lot. I mean, there was so much in this game from, I mean, McLaurin stepping on an arm to timeouts to two-point conversions. This game had it all. This was game of the week. Yeah, I want to start with Washington correct stopping the tush push the NFL needs to make it illegal I I totally agree now after seeing that it's not football at all it's so much more rugby the offensive linemen for the Eagles are cheating they're getting uh, they're jumping early they're getting false starts getting away with it it's not real football but Washington was able to stop it and and we need to give them some credit for that oh no doubt I want to double down on this referee point because they do the tush push early and they get the illegal formation like the referees correctly flag it and then they do it again and over Time and it was absolutely every bit as illegal. I just this new thing where the refs exclusively swallow their whistle, like in key moments. Teams are going to start really taking advantage of this. I don't. I don't like it at all. I don't know how they got away with that one in overtime, where the other official was in the backfield with the Philadelphia Eagles. They completely botched it. They should have stopped the play. You know what they should have done is stopped the play the play before and, and looked at a replay of the spot. Because we're talking about overtime here, and it's a matter of inches uh, with the, with uh, Derek Forrest making the stop there on, on the screen pass. And so, you know, the NFL really does need to look into this game because there are several things, including also Terry McLaurin. I believe his foot was in bounds. I, I know, Michael, you might have your own opinion on that, but I don't understand why the rule is not if the bottom of your cleat hits the grass you're in, why is it the toe? Is, it not, is the cleat not part of the foot? It's like, uh, you know, one butt cheek equals two feet, you know, breaking down all the body parts and what they equal here. Uh, I, you, you know, it, when they showed the TV angle from the, the, the end zone that essentially made it look like he was out of bounds, whether he was or wasn't, at that moment you just knew they're not overturning it. But dang, man, I was so close. And I think if he gets that, they score a touchdown. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe I'm viewing this with the rose-colored glasses. That's, that's why, like, you know, I'm not going hard on this two-point conversion thing. Because if they score the touchdown, I'm not mentioning it on my show today. You're just right. celebrating a victory Monday. And Terry McLaurin, man, remember that catch from, like, it was the Chargers opener two years ago where, like, it just falls into him on the sideline. This dude's this dude's insane. I love watching him play so much. Yeah, no, he's incredible. And it just – it's wild because it felt like his, his feet were hovering above the ground and they just wouldn't land. And then that guy slides his wrist underneath. Oh. In, incredible. What do you think happened in the third quarter? Because I'm going to put some blame on Antonio Gibson. All right. In my mind, watching this game, Washington had all the momentum. End of the second quarter, they're driving down the field. Gibson drops a pitch pass to himself, right? He drops it, picks it back up, then runs out of bounds like an idiot. Yeah. The clock stops. Washington kicks the field goal. The Eagles have a minute and 40 seconds. They get the first explosive play of the game to Devontae Smith. That got the momentum. They get a field goal, and then they come out right out of the half with a bunch of momentum. I don't understand why Antonio Gibson is still getting so much playing time. Yeah, the double dribble there, I think uh, you know yeah. they would have called that in the NBA. <laughs> it, it, it's 
you can only do so much Brian Robinson, but they've got to figure out who's your number two, who's your other guy you can get the ball to. I would like, I continue to ask for more Curtis Samuel in those roles. Um, I, I just, I, Curtis Samuel was, was mainly targeted as a passer, but I think he's got value touching the ball yeah. in the backfield too. I, I mean, he walked into the end zone, dude. He, it's like, we're not even talking about that. <laughs> he's got speed. Um, you know, Curtis yeah. Samuel has, has that. Isaiah Pacheco, you know, last night watching him do his thing. Samuel has that gear. I'd love to see them use use that more from him. Uh, you know, that that third quarter, and, you know, I, I think that was where the Eagles maybe got Howell a little bit more, were able to dust him up a, li- a little bit more than normal. Um, what shocked me over and over, the Eagles just had no interest in having a killer instinct. You know, they, they probably should have gone for it on that first drive of the second half when they had their fourth down instead of kicking the field goal. I, I got the sense the Eagles were just kind of lackadaisically just walking through this one like it's just a, a little uh, July walkthrough out there on the practice field. I, I didn't get the sense they fully engaged outside of maybe, uh, you know, Brown doing his thing, uh, you know, watching him match up with Forbes, they seemed pretty heated. But beyond that, I, I didn't get the sense they were taking this seriously uh, for, for large portions. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's why I'm so upset with Jack Del Rio, and that's what I opened the show with here is I don't understand why he always says, oh, we have four first-round draft picks, they have to win. Well, they're not winning. And, and so what point are you going to make adjustments? He made adjustments in overtime and then blitzed and then blitzed again when he shouldn't have blitzed. So, you know, it's puzzling to me what Jack Del Rio is doing defensively. He had Emmanuel Forbes matched up one-on-one all game with A.J. Brown. He was getting burnt all game, and then he gets burnt basically the most important drive of the game, and I get it, it gave Washington the ability to get the ball back, but I have no problem with the Eagles throwing that pass there because what if Jake Elliott misses the field goal? So then you're talking about, hey, they botched it. So they ran a double move, and Forbes got burned again. Why is he still matched up on A.J. Brown? Yeah, and so many snaps. I mean, we'll, we'll get the exact numbers, but he played, I mean, basically the entire game after playing half the game in each of the first three, and that was my head scratcher. You've got a guy who's clearly not winning his matchup and is playing more snaps than he's used to playing. Uh, it doesn't seem worth it at that point to keep doing what you're doing, especially on a lineup that has St. Juice, that has Fuller. Like It's not like your second-best option is some kind of like, oh, well, you know, like, you know, we got that guy. He's a, you know, Troy Apke's got to cover him or something. You've got very legitimate options there. Um, it. The, the A.J. Brown, 175 yards. You should never have 175 yeah. yards. It, it, Jonathan Allen was on the Junkies earlier. I know you heard that. And they were talking about Del Rio's offenses get better as the season goes on. Well, you know, it, it's time Thursday night. Um, you know, you, you have to win this game Thursday. Uh, so, so time's up on any sort of adjustment period here. It's, it's go time pretty quickly. Totally. So are you still you still believing this is a victory Monday? You know, I won't call it that. I'm going with it's a help us moving forward Monday. <laughs> I like that terminology. We, we, we absolutely acknowledge moral victory Monday. And look, here's the situation, Adam. Um, Sam Howell, if he's here for the future, that's so, like that's so much better than anything else that could have like Sam Howell being the quarterback of the future is the only thing that matters to me. Eric B like being the offensive coordinator or coach of the future. Like those are things that get me excited about the future of the Washington commanders, Jack Del Rio putting together a competent defense. Like that ship sailed for me. Ron's not going to be the coach next year. I don't, I'm not convinced that Jack Del Rio is going to be around mm-hmm. next year. You know, this is, I still think this is a wild card team. I still think they they've got what it takes to make the wild card. I loved Sam Howell's day yesterday. I just that that is shining so big for me. If they can actually have a quarterback 
uh, and not need to beg, borrow, and steal for one this offseason or do a, do a Carson Wentz or Ryan Fitzpatrick. Man, that just – that because there was a chance this could have gone very wrong for them. There was yeah. a chance this could have been a very bad day for Sam Howell and some kind of entered some kind of tailspin. Instead, he got himself out of it in one week. That was impressive. Yeah, and look, the Eagles could have held on to the ball and then kicked a field goal as time expired. And then when they scored, I was like, uh-oh, we're going to get an opportunity here to see what Sam Howell's got. And I know that everyone's going to judge this last drive very harshly, whether it ends up in six points or a turnover. So it was impressive to see him go right down the field. I agree with you. I like how he didn't have to spike it. He got the guys to their position. I thought the play calling was very impressive by enemy getting guys open towards the sidelines so they could get out of bounds. Uh, we saw so much on that final drive uh, to be happy about. And so it's a, hey, it's going to help us moving forward. And moving forward is this Thursday against the Bears. Michael, appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. Have a great show. I'll be listening. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910, 833-804-0910. I'm going to step aside for a second. When we return, University Drive catching you up on all the college football here in the state of Virginia, including Virginia Tech with Andy Bitter. That's coming up next. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Live and local here in Richmond, 12 to 3 p.m. on 910 The Fan. Always available around the country on the free Odyssey app. Download it today and just search 910 The Fan to hear AWOD Radio. Gives you the ability to pause the show, rewind, run some errands, then pick up right where you left off. I'm broadcasting live from Capitol Alehouse. Here in Innsbruck, come on beer, come on down, grab a beer, and check out the show. It's Monday. You deserve it. I'm here every Monday at the Innsbruck location, recapping Saturday's college football action and looking ahead to Monday night football tonight. And we'll rewind with the college football games from Saturday right now here on University Drive. Let's go to University Drive. Scores, rivalries, rankings, all the college football in the state of Virginia. We'll follow the action all season long. College football, baby. University Drive on AWOD Radio. All right, so we'll, we'll start with UVA. Briefly mention the Cavaliers now 0-5, falling to the Boston College Eagles 27-24. Tony Musket returns from injury. And was impressive, 22 of 34, 247 yards, three touchdowns, but he did have one interception. Malik Washington, man, the Hoos do have a ton of good receivers. He had nine catches for 97 yards and one touchdown. As it came down to the final drive of the game, Boston College, Liam Connor hits a 42-yard field goal after UVA had tied it with a field goal at 24. They go on to win 27-24. to JMU, the Dukes. Now 5-0 after an impressive victory over South Alabama, 31-23. Jordan McLeod, 12-22, 241 yards and three touchdowns. Also ran the ball 10 times for 61 yards. ODU, the Monarchs. Man, they had a, a really good game against Marshall, trying to do what the Hokies couldn't do the previous week. They fall in a thriller 35 to 41 uh, thanks to Marshall with, with a big third quarter there putting uh, three touchdowns on the board and a field goal 
as we move over to Virginia Tech, a big victory for the Hokies, and they've got a fun one coming up this Saturday on ABC 330 against Florida State. Joining us right now on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline, it's Andy Bitter. What's going on, Andy? Uh, not much. Good to talk so after we, a win for once. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked last week about the game plan here, and, and I said, man, Hokies are going to have to run the ball successfully. Uh, but you look at the box score, I'm blown away. 199 yards exactly on the ground from the Hokies. That's how you win in college football, man. It is, and they stuck with it. I mean, you, you look at their average yards per carry, it's not that great. I mean, they ran it 59 times, but they were persistent with the run game, where they, they kind of went away from it the previous week against Marshall, even they were they were getting big chunks of yards. They stuck with it against Pitt. And it wasn't always pretty, and it wasn't always successful. But by the end, it really wore down that Pitt defense. They got a lot of yards in that fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, you look at the time of possession, they really dominated. They held onto the ball the entire game. It was, it was a pretty good formula for a win. Absolutely, and you got to love Chiron Drones, 12 of 19, the run uh, by Drones, 21 carries for 41 yards. He also got two touchdowns, was able to set up the play-action pass, three touchdowns passing, 228 yards. How great was it to see Jalen Lane sprinting into the end zone? What do you think of the Hokies' passing game? I thought it was an impressive offensive showing all around. I mean, Chiron Drones, five touchdowns accounted for. It's only you know five or six guys that have done that in the last 25 years. Uh, at Virginia Tech. So it was, it was a strong uh, quarterback in performance. I thought they called a good game offensively in terms of keeping Pitt off balance and misdirection, and screens and, and plays like that. And they hit on some big plays too. You know, a long ball yeah. uh, down the sideline that Daquan felt, and they get a long touchdown to Jalen Lane too. Uh, it was just a complete departure, it felt like, offensively from what they got in that first month of the season. They, they really showed out in this game and uh, you know, gave their defense a chance as well. Yeah, a couple team stats for you guys listening right now. Total yards, 427 for Virginia Tech, just 273 for Pittsburgh. 25 first downs just to nine uh, for Pitt, and that's because of the third down efficiency. Hokies 8 of 16, holding Pittsburgh to 2 of 10. Uh, what did you notice about defensively from the Hokies getting the ability to get stops on third down? Yeah, well, Pitt's pretty bad to start out <laughs> that's that's an offensive mess that they have this year they don't really have any answers uh that offensive line is just a, a sieve and phil Dracovic was under pressure constantly in that game but you know i think the defensive line for the hokies really really showed up uh they played angry they played aggressive they got after it in the backfield uh four sacks you know forced a fumble there as well you know in Dracovic's face and a lot of those plays as well hadn't seen that a ton this season, so to get that kind of pressure from the front four, uh, I thought that helped tremendously. It put a lot less stress on that back half of the defense in terms of run fits and get guys on the ground because uh, some of those front four guys were making plays in the backfield. So, uh, just a very aggressive uh, defense from Virginia Tech. I, I think they play with a lot of emotion, and I think that showed throughout the night. How big of a win would you say this was for the program? Because look, I, I know Pitt's not great. But I'd still call this a massive victory to start the ACC season off 1-0. It's got the fan base believing that maybe they could shock the world and beat Florida State next week. You look at the overall record, and you were 2-2 two and two at this point, but you just get one win in the ACC at home, packed crowd, Sunday, Saturday night. I just think it's a great win for the program to have some great feelings moving forward this week. 
Yeah, and you know, if you lose that game, you're you're staring down one and five. It's a possibility. Having to go to, to Tallahassee to play a top five Florida State team. I think they're twenty four point underdogs in that game, something like that right now. So mm-hmm. uh to be two and three after three straight weeks where you know they were in it. And the two of those they had a chance to either tie it or win it at the end and they couldn't get over the hump. I mean, it's tough. Uh, to have those kind of performances where you're in it and you play okay and you could have won, but you don't come out with a result, or a winning result, I should say. Uh, it's tough to kind of preach that message as a coaching staff over and over and keep at it. Uh, so to finally get a win like this, I think it really raises the confidence level. It kind of you know, shows that some of the stuff they're doing does have a payoff at the end. I think that can do wonders for a team's psyche. So what is the injury status right now on Grant Wells? And is he... Does he have a chance to get this job back with drones running and throwing so successfully? Uh, I'm not sure quite where he is injury-wise. I think he's still on the mend with that a little bit. I, I don't think it matters, honestly. I think with the way the Kyron drones played in that game, they'd be foolish to go back to, to Wells even if he was healthy. Uh, yeah. you know, the, the dual threat nature that the drones brings to the game uh, it really has opened up the ground game. He's throwing the ball very well. Uh, it's something that... You know, makes opposing defenses have to really cover all 11 guys when they're out there on the field as a ball carrier, too. So, uh, you know, if, if you get a guy that counts for five touchdowns in the game that you don't go back to him as the starter and the lone player the next time you're out there, you're, you're probably overthinking things. Yeah, no, I, I wanted them to go with drones to start the season, so I'm certainly happy about that. It's Andy Bitter with us here on the Hadid Mercer Rug Cleaning Hotline. I'm Adam Epstein. This is AWOD Radio. And, uh, Andy, I, I'd love for you to paint a picture for us of what the scene was like Saturday as the Hokies got the big win. You know, it's a, it was a pretty electric atmosphere there. The, the whiteout effect, which you know I'm a little skeptical of, but I looked at it and it was it was pretty cool. You know, everybody wearing white in the crowd it was a good uh, setup that they had. You know, night game at Lane Stadium is always a pretty good atmosphere. I, I thought the crowd was in it, and you know, on top of that, the Hokies actually gave them a reason to cheer <laughs> by winning the game and playing the way that they did. So, uh, you know, again, I think that's something that. Early on, there's been a lot of struggles in this Brent Pry era. Era, they've been looking for anything they can lean on or anything they can point to and go, "That's the atmosphere. That's the kind of product that we're putting on the field." And to finally have a game like that, I think that's that's a pretty good step for the staff. Yeah, I, I feel good about it. Great win for the Hokies. Andy Bitter with us here on the hotline. Follow him on social media, Andy Bitter Virginia Tech. Read his work online. Senior staff writer and lead football writer for Tech Sideline. Uh, what did you learn from post game there with Kyron Jones and head coach Brent Pry? You know, I think it's a lot of what we've been saying, just a you know, positive momentum for the program, something positive to build on. Uh, yeah. When you've lost three straight, they've lost six straight ACC games going back to last year. They've lost nine straight against Power Five competition going back to last year's BC game. There just hasn't been a lot of building blocks in this program, the things you can point to that say that you're going in the right direction. So, you know, Brent Pry is a very positive person, and he keeps, you know, after all these losses previously, it's always like, we just got to keep plugging away, keep working, and, and that message wears thin, not only on players but on the fan base, if the results aren't there. So to finally get a win, I think that's just a, sort of a load off their shoulders. Not, that's not to say they've arrived or anything like that, but at least – Gives you a little bit of positive feelings in the program, a little bit easier to, to walk around the building the next day when it's like that. 
Yeah, I mean, after that win against Pittsburgh, now that you look at the next few weeks here, Florida State, obviously, that's an impossible test right there. But then Wake Forest, Syracuse, a, a couple a couple winnable games for the program to keep some co- positive momentum throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, you look at the rest of the season after Florida State, and five of the last six games are against middle to lower tier teams in the ACC. Yeah. And now Virginia Tech's a middle to lower tier team in the ACC too, so it's not like that's some super advantage, but it's not like you're playing a, a bunch of teams that you just have no shot going to the game. I think FSU qualifies in that sense, but after that, you know, Wake is not as good as they've, they've been in previous years. NC State hasn't looked that great. You know, UVA, BC, very winnable road games there. Uh, you know, Syracuse and Louisville maybe on the upper end there, but still not not teams that you go in and you, you go, you just can't win that game. Uh, so I, I think the schedule breaks for them pretty well. After this week, uh, you know, we'll see if they can be consistent enough to take advantage of those matchups and be in it from week to week. I think that's the real challenge for this team, but it's there. If they can turn things around and, and get playing a little bit better on both sides of the ball, it's certainly there and they can uh, turn the season around. Yeah, I, I'm going to go out and say I, I see four more victories on the schedule and, and hopefully maybe even five for the Hokies. Andy, great stuff, man. Follow Andy on social media at Andy Bitter. VT, senior staff writer and lead football writer for Tech Sideline. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thanks for having me. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. Don't go anywhere. Don't change that dial. I'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio. Here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM, broadcasting live from Capitol Ale House here in Innsbruck. Come on by, grab a beer, and check out the show. Take an extended lunch break here on a misery Monday. You deserve it. We'll continue this Commander's Conversation at 1 p.m. on the Richmond Commander. Phone lines are open, 833-804-0910. And I'll give you guys the who, what, when, where, how, and why the Commanders lost in overtime to the Philadelphia Eagles. But right now, we wanted to go around the NFL And, of course, you guys know I do this every Monday, the winners and losers of the week on NFL Hits. All right, Stubb, produce the show today. What do you think? Should we start with losers of the week or should we start with winners? Should we start on a positive note or get right to the negativity here on a misery Monday? What are you thinking? Yeah, let's start with the losers, all right? And and the bad has to be the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, my goodness. Joe Burrow might need to take some time and just sit it down for a month. This offensive line is going to get him killed. They're going to get him seriously injured. The Bengals looked like crap against the Titans. Final score, 27-3, to in which Joe Burrow was sacked three times for 26 yards. He was pressured a ton, only threw for 165 yards. This is a guy that throws for 300 yards with ease. Well, it has not been that easy for him this season. They put up three points in the first quarter and then blanked the second, the third, and the fourth as Tennessee, thanks to Derrick Henry throwing a touchdown pass, cruises to victory. Here's another loser. How about the Atlanta Falcons? I mean, that offense is terrible. People in London got to watch a boring game where Atlanta only scores seven points. People watching on Disney Plus Stubb, did you tune in on Disney Plus to see the animated game? Because that was boring. Only seven points offensively scored for the Falcons as the Jaguars cruised to victory. How about another loser? The Chicago Bears. Losers. 
you blow a 28-7 lead to the Denver Broncos? I mean, my, Justin Fields looked like he figured it out. The defense was getting to Russell Wilson, and the Bears were looking good. 28-7. to They come back, and they lose the game. How about another loser of the week, the Pittsburgh Steelers? They only score six points in a terrible loss, a defeat in which I almost picked them um, in our survivor pool. I thought, oh, yeah, Steelers-Texans, they'll cruise to victory here. No, they get blanked. 30-6, to six, uh, just three points, uh, a couple field goals on the board for the Steelers as the Texans and C.J. Stroud looked impressive, 300 yards two touchdowns, and that's where we'll get started here with some of the winners of the weeks. I'm not, I'll give him a ding, all right, for C.J. Stroud. I'm still not a believer just yet, but think about this. C.J. Stroud passed for 1,212 yards, passing Andrew Luck for second most passing yards in NFL history by a quarterback through their first four games. Maybe the Texans found a real one here in C.J. Stroud. Another winner of the week has to be the Buffalo Bills, a Resume boost, dominating the Dolphins, claiming an early ledge in the AFC East. Allen was clinical. Josh Allen threw more touchdown passes, five, than incompletions with four. I mean, that's how good they were on offense. Stephon Diggs running all over the Dolphins' uh, defense there. But the bigger story might be Buffalo's defense. They're good on both sides of the ball. They really are. We saw that last week against the Commanders. They had cornerback blitzes, and they collected four sacks on Tua, hit them nine times, and they were also able to drop two safeties and neutralize the deep pass there. Tyreek Hill had been a monster. A legit monster. It was basically like he was averaging 180 yards a game. They were able to hold him to three catches for 58 yards in that one. So the Bills win 48-20. to Absolutely winners of the week. Another winner of the week, Christian McCaffrey. And I read this online. A non-quarterback has entered the MVP chat. With his four total touchdowns, yep, four touchdowns, he scored 50 points on me fantasy-wise. That's why I lost this week. No other reason like me benching McClure. No, no, no. It was McCaffrey. Single-handedly beat my fantasy team. Four touchdowns, 177 yards from scrimmage, and a 35-16 to victory over the Cardinals. He is on an unprecedented tear. The four scores are a career high, tied for second most in a single game in Niners history. In fact, he has now scored a touchdown in 13 consecutive games. That now snapped a tie for the team record, passing legend Jerry Rice. When you pass any record, you pass Jerry Rice, you're going to be up there for winner of the week. He's the third player in NFL history with 600 yards from scrimmage and seven touchdowns through the first four games of the season, joining Emmitt Smith and Jim Brown, who did it twice. Yeah, that's pretty good there for a winner of the week. Now I wanted to get to the topic here on NFL hits that I talked about previously, and that is through four weeks of the regular season here, right? We're through four weeks. We still have undefeated teams. We still have teams that have failed to win a game. Right now, if you're looking at the league standings, it's the Eagles up top at 4-0 and the Niners up top at 4-0 with the Bears and Panthers yet to win a game. And so I threw this out there to Michael Phillips. You can chime in, 833-804-0910. Through four weeks of football, right? I like to take this four weeks at a time. Yes, they added a 17th game, so that ruins this. But still, to me, it's about four quarters, right? The first quarter is done with now. So through four weeks, who are the most playoff-ready teams in the NFL? We start in the AFC, and 
I have to put the Buffalo Bills up there. I, I mean, this is a team that, that is cruising to victory, 3-1 and one now on the season. Like I said earlier, they're great offensively. Their defense is good as well. Um, I think Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs showed that they're on the same page, and when those two are on the same page, uh, they're almost unstoppable. They're going to throw for uh, – you know, they're going to connect for 150 yards a game. I'm also going to put the Dolphins on this list. I do think – look – they're playoff ready. The only team they lost to was a team that's also playoff ready and the top team in the AFC in the Bills. So give me the Dolphins up there as well. I'm going to put the Kansas City Chiefs on this because I'm picking four teams through each conference. I don't think they're one of the top one or two, but look, this is a, a Kansas City team here that you know they're going to win when it comes to crunch time. Uh, you know that they're going to have some games where – they don't look great for four quarters, but they find a way to get the win, and that's what they did on Sunday Night Football. And then the fourth team I'm going to put here for the AFC, that's the Baltimore Ravens. I have really been impressed with the Ravens offensively. They are coming off of a 28-3 butt-whooping of the Cleveland Browns in which Lamar Jackson was 15 of 19. That's really efficient offense right there, 186 yards, two touchdowns. But what makes them so great is the team runs the ball as a team. You look at this. Gus Edwards, 48 yards. Justice Hill, 33 yards. Melvin Gordon, 21 yards. Tyler Huntley, 8 yards. Lamar Jackson, 27 yards. They ran for 131 yards as a team offensively. When they're able to run for over 100 yards, they're almost impossible to beat. And defensively, they've got playmakers all over the ball. Roquan Smith, he picked up right where he left off last year. 10 tackles, including a tackle for loss. And Kyle Hamilton giving them some safety depth now that they needed this season. Let's move over to the NFC. Four teams that I believe are the most playoff ready through four weeks of football. You have to put the Niners on the list here. I mean, they are the top team in the NFL. If the playoffs began today, I would absolutely pick them to be your Super Bowl champions. Number two, it's got to be the Eagles as well. I mean, they haven't lost a game. They looked beatable against the Commanders, but man, that huge third quarter helped them uh, come back and win that game. I'm going to put the Lions on this list as well. I have been impressed with what I've seen from the Lions this season. They're 3-0. Th- they're, uh, they're slinging all over around the field with Jared Goff, and what's been so impressive is you know, he's had back-to-back games with an interception now, but has still been able to battle through that and win the game. Uh, I love what they're getting on the ground from David Montgomery, but it's the wide receiver weapons that does it for me. Like, you look at Amon Ross St. Brown. You look at Josh Reynolds. You look at Sam Laporta getting open deep and, and grabbing a touchdown pass there at the tight end. They can throw it to Jameer Gibbs. They can hand it to Jameer Gibbs. Offensively, Detroit has a ton of weapons. The Dan Campbell fighting Lions are looking really good. And the fourth team, this is going to shock a lot of people, shocking myself with this pick here. I'm going with the most playoff, the four most playoff-ready teams in the NFC. I have to include the 3-1 and one Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, Baker Mayfield looks good. They're coming off of an impressive 26-9 win over the Tampa uh, over the New Orleans Saints in which Baker was 25 of 32 246 yards three touchdowns did have one interception they can run the ball with Rashad White uh they can they can throw the ball to Chris Godwin they can throw it to Mike Evans uh defensively uh, they're no joke as well Antoine Whitfield knows how to hit Devin White, love him as well. Levante David, Shaquille Barrett, Vera Vea. I mean, they've got playmakers all over the defensive side of the ball. And look, this is a Bucks team here that has an easier schedule 
because I don't really think that there's that much competition in their division. They're going to get two wins against the Falcons. They're going to get two wins against the Panthers. They already got one at one against the Saints. They might get a second one. And when we talked about before the season, I gave this Bucks team uh, a division championship with, I believe, a 9-8 and record. They might win as much as 10 or 11 games this season. Uh, I just see a lot of victories on this schedule here. Baker keeps playing solid, and the defense gets all the stops that they need. I'm Adam Epstein. You're listening to AWOD Radio here on the new sports radio, 910 The Fan, now at 105.1 FM. My 10 takeaways from the Commander's overtime loss coming up next on the Richmond Commander.